So we just talked about fusion and, and vertical, our student ministries, and Carrie uh, already stole some of my thunder when she talked a little bit about the statistics of, um, of when, at what age people make, an, make a decision to follow Jesus or not. And my statistics are just slightly different, but they, they're similar in the sense that, that the majority of people actually make that decision to follow Jesus or not, to become a Christian or saved, whatever uh, jargon you want to use. I like the, 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 um, the term following Jesus. That's actually what Christian means. It means a follower of Christ. That most people actually make that decision before they turn 13. Over half of people who, who are followers of Jesus have made that decision before they turn 13 years old. Then there is a, a large percentage before 18, and then it's a sharp drop-off. Less than 10% make a decision for, to, for Jesus and to follow him, to submit their lives to him after they turn 18. And then it just goes, the percentage just goes down after that. Why is that, you think? Why is it, maybe I want to refer, not so much why do young people accept Jesus easier? Why is it so hard for older people to, to make that decision? I think it has to do with experiences that we go through. The older we get, the more experiences we have. The more, the more we learn, the more we think we know, and the more we develop a, a worldview. In German, we say Weltanschauung, um, which has become a universal term for worldview. Um, we develop a worldview, and we kind of get into a rut of what we think and, and what we believe and, and how we act, act that out. We develop patterns of thinking. And the more a belief or a perception gets confirmed, the less likely we are, we, are, we are to receive something new, to receive new input that might change our perspective or perception of things. You know the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? We, we get into a rut, don't we? We keep walking down that, that same path over and over and over again. And what happens with a path that gets walked on again and again and again and again? It gets hard. It gets hard. And that's the, the analogy, the picture that Jesus is using in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Let me just quickly recap um, what, what Dave talked about last week, or, or, or Lad, if you were in the red building. We talked about an introduction. We introduced the parable of the sower. Jesus often taught and, and spoke in parables, in pictures, in stories that he made up to illustrate truth. And he talked about the, a sower who, who sows seeds and they fall on different ground. Some falls on a hard path, on a hard um, ground. Some falls on rocks. Some falls on shallow dirt. Um, some falls among thorns and other plants that, that choke it out. And others, in the end, he says, falls on, on good and soft and fertile ground where it actually can grow deep roots and produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times. And then the disciples who were with him, who heard that, were like, ah, we don't get it. <laughs> Could you repeat that? That happened a lot, by the way, with the disciples. So don't worry if you sometimes read scripture and it's hard to understand. Just tell them, Jesus, <laughs> explain, please. So he, then in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus goes into it a little further. He says, okay, now, let, let me explain this to you. And he goes into this passage about the hard soil. 
And I'm going to read it to you out of three different books of the New Testament. So I'm not going to assume anything this morning. Um, but there are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. There's the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a Jew who wrote specifically to a Jewish audience. So he re refers a lot to Old Testament prophecies and to Jesus as the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. Then we have the Gospel of Mark. And Mark was an, an assistant, kind of a secretary, a scribe for Peter. The, the disciple Peter, and, and if you've read the Gospels a little bit, the stories of Jesus' life, you, you will find that Peter was a very impulsive guy. He took action. He, thinking often came after acting, and, and that's how the Gospel of Mark is a little bit. It's just bam, 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 action after action, story after story, reflecting uh, Peter's personality very much. And then we have the Gospel of Luke. Luke was not one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus during his lifetime, at least not, not closely. But he came to faith in Jesus later on, and he was a, a doctor, a medical doctor, so a scientist, a scientific mind, and a, and a historian. So he goes uh, describing the gospel very, very detailed. He gives a lot of references, historical, geographical references, very verifiable stuff. And then lastly, we have the Gospel of John that's very different from the other three. The Gospel of John was written by John the disciple, who was a very young man, probably a teenager when he followed Jesus, who lived the longest, too. He was the only one who wasn't martyred for his faith. And... Um, And he wrote the gospel about 30 years after Jesus had died. The other three gospels were written very soon after Jesus' lifetime. And so John had decades of reflection and contemplating. And, and so his story of Jesus is, has a lot more interpretation, a lot more explanation in it. And so we often recommend the gospel of John to be the first gospel to read. If you are new to faith and new to following Jesus, the gospel of John is really the, the easiest to read because because it, it explains a lot. So, but today, um, but I'm telling you all this to let you know there's, there's often multiple accounts of the same story. So in this case, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us an account of this parable. And just for, so that we get a complete picture, I'm going to read um, the passage that we're looking at today from all three. And I'm just going to start with Matthew. Matthew 13. So here's the beginning of Jesus' explanation to his disciples about the parable of the sower that he just gave them. Matthew 13, and I'm going to begin in verse 19. Actually, in 18, he says, now, okay, now listen to what this parable means. And then in verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. This is the seed sown along or on the path. And then in Mark, the same account in Mark chapter 4, verse 15, says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So again, the same idea. It, it's laying on a path that doesn't receive it because it's so hard. And, and he talks about the enemy, Satan, coming and snatching God's word, God's truth away. And then the last account is in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
So again, the picture here is that there is a sower representing Jesus who, who sows the seed of God's word, who, who teaches truth about God's kingdom, teaches truth about how we're to interact with God, who he is and who he wants to be in our lives. And, and there's different ways to receive it. And today we want to focus on the, the path that is, that's become hard where the seed doesn't fall into soft soil, but it sits on top of this hard soil. It doesn't take root, and it's easily taken away. And there's really two questions that I want to explore with you this morning. They kind of sprang up in my mind and heart as I was looking at this. And the first question is, what makes that soil hard? What happened in, in our lives, or what happens in our lives, to make that soil hard? And then the second question is, how can, we, how can we soften that soil? How can we till it? How can we make it more receptive? And maybe part of that is, do we want to? Do we need to? But let's, let's look first at what, what hardens the soils of our hearts and makes it unreceptive to God's truth. So he's describing people here as, as hard soil. Throughout the Bible, you will find stories and people described in those stories as having hardened hearts or their hearts having been made hard and, and where they have become unreceptive to whatever God is, is wanting to communicate to them, unreceptive to God's word and, and his truth. And I just know... Sometimes when I'm unreceptive to input in an area, I can be, you know, I'm German, as you might hear my slight accent uh, here. As Germans, we get pretty um, stuck in our ways sometimes. My wife is French, and she's all loosey-goosey, anything goes kind of thing. Well, not quite, but, but the French are just a little, little more relaxed about stuff. And, and us Germans, we can just get stuck in our rut. And the Brits, too, right, Dave? And... Um, and so I know when that happens in my heart, it's because I have, I have formed an opinion based on my perception of reality. Right? And that's, we all do that. We perceive reality a certain way, whether that's actual truth or not, but what we perceive is true for us, right? And we base an opinion. And I know for me, when things come and challenge my opinions and perceptions that I've already made and they affirm hard, man, I... I, I don't want that. It's uncomfortable for me. And I think that happens for all of us, that, we, that there's things in our lives that shape us in our perception of reality. I want to give you an example. I don't know if, if you know this. Many of you might know this. We just adopted another uh, little girl just three days before Christmas, a little six-year-old girl. Her name is Cameron. And, um, and Cameron has gone, we're the fifth family that she's been fl placed with. She's been told multiple times that she would have mom and dad and that she would be there forever. And yet we're the fifth family she's with. Cameron's perception of reality is family isn't forever. Her perception of reality is and when I, I tell her all the time, I say, Cameron, there's nothing that you can do that will change my love for you. There's nothing that you can do that, that would make us not keep you. Because that's been her experience. And I just know that in her perception, she says, yeah, I know. Her reality has said, I want to use a word that I shouldn't use. Her reality says, that's not true. Her experience, her, the, her experience tells her 
what you're telling me is not true. And yet it is. So her perception of what she believes and perceives to be true right now, I know is not in alignment with the reality that we will be there for her till the end. And we're going through this process with her of softening that soil that's become so hard to receiving love, so hard to receiving truth about our relationship with her and truth about our unconditional love for her. We're trying to soften that soil so that she becomes receptive to the seeds of of our love so that they can grow and grow roots and that she can have that fruit in her life of, of actually receiving unconditional love. Does that make sense? How her experience and how her perception of reality right now is not lining up with the truth that we're bringing to her. And that happens in your heart and in my heart. Our experiences harden our hearts because they create a perception spiritually that often is true because we have bad religious experiences don't we i'm sure there's people sitting here right now maybe you are right now hard you're not ready to receive any truth about god's love as communicated in his word because you've had horrible spiritual experiences Maybe you've been taken advantage of in the context of church or religion. Maybe you have encountered hypocrisy and and manipulation. And those experiences create a perception of reality that might not align with the reality of God and who he really is. But people who have represented him falsely have created that reality in you and have hardened your soil to receive his truth. Another thing that creates a hardened soil in our hearts, as we see it in the Bible, is continued rejection of God's truth. Continued, willful rejection of God's truth. The picture that I often use for that, and I might have used it before, but it's, I think it's good, so I'm using it again, is that, that God communicates to us into our hearts and into our conscience. The Bible talks about that, that he wants to bring his light into our lives. So imagine this window in your heart that God's light shines through into your heart and into your conscience. Rejecting his, his, his light again and again is like not cleaning that window. Every time you reject a truth about God or something he's wanting you to do or asking you to do, truth that he brings into you, every time you reject that, you fail to clean that window. And every time we do that, more dust and dirt accumulates on that window of our heart to the point where at some point it gets so thick of dust and dirt that we've just become, we've become unreceptive to his truth because we've rejected and rejected and rejected. We have not kept that window clean for his light to shine into our hearts. Continued rejection will lead to the hardening of our hearts. I want to read a verse to you that speaks into that. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. And by the way, I want to encourage you, if, when you come on Sundays, to bring your Bibles or have it on your smartphone or whatever you, you have. Just great to read along and, and develop the practice of actually you being in God's Word and not just uh, through me, you know. So I want to just encourage you to bring your Bibles. We always have free Bibles out at the, at the um, coffee bar for you too. So Ephesians 4 Verse 18, it's talking about people who don't receive God's light. It says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
Let me read that again. They are darkened in their understanding. So the light's not coming through and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Ignorance simply meaning we're ignoring God's truth and God's light and it separates us from his life. And our hearts become hard. Another thing that I know sometimes hardens my heart and I think is a, is a major factor in hardening our hearts is pride. Pride in our life. The pride that says, I don't need you, God. The pride that says, I can do this on my own. I can do this without you. And, and another one, maybe lastly, is that is rationalism. Is that we sometimes let our rational minds get in the way of listening and receiving from a supernatural God. I want to read one verse to you that speaks into that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll start in verse 18. It says, The message of the cross, the message of Jesus dying on the cross for you and me, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm just going to stop there. Let me read that one more time. For the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, if, if, if we are completely unreceptive to God speaking into our lives, if we are letting rationalism, pride, rejection, our own perception that is not in line with God's truth, if we allow that to harden our hearts, the gospel will not make sense. It will not make sense that we're in need of God. It will not make sense that we're in need of forgiveness because we're good enough. We can do this. And at some point we realize we can't. And then this verse that Jesus talks to here, to the disciples, when he explains what happens on that hard path, he says the enemy, and let's just call him what the Bible Satan is an enemy that's there who's, who takes away, who, who's just waiting to see that truth fall on your life and picking it up. And he has already hardened our hearts by the lies that he makes us believe. He is called the liar and the deceiver. He's the one who, who in the creation account initially deceived Adam and Eve into believing that they don't need God, into believing that they can be like God, that they can't trust Him. And He's trying to do the same in your life and in my life by getting us to buy into the lies about who God is and about who you and I are in relation to God. Let me read you one more verse uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, who comforts... Uh, that must be the wrong verse. I'm sorry, I wrote down the wrong verse. I'm going to have to check that, check that later. I'm sorry. Anyway, he's doing that in your life and in my life, trying to get us to believe into those lies that will make us unreceptive to God's truth. For you and for me. You know, this, this happens not only to those of us among us here who maybe have not yet really received Jesus into their lives. This hardening of hearts happens to all of us in different areas of our lives. 
You know, some of us maybe are still at the point where we're just not even initially receptive to anything God might want to communicate to you about your need for him, about his forgiveness and his love that he wants to, to pour out into your life. But then some of us have been following Jesus. We, we made that initial decision and somehow we've allowed the enemy and experiences in our lives to deceive us, to believe, uh, to start believing wrong things about God, to start putting God into a box, to minimize him, to make him a little pocket God that we take along with us. And we start believing wrongly about him and limit the truth that we receive from him. I just want to want to ask you to, to check into your own heart to see where, where are you at in your receptiveness and your willingness to receive truth from God, for him to speak truth into your life through his word. Are there areas where, you, where you're shutting him out? Do you have hard soil in your heart? And then are you willing to have that hard soil softened? Are you willing to, to dig into it, to get down and dirty, as we've called the, the series, to get down and dirty in your heart and really dig into that? What has made my heart hard? What has hardened the path in my heart? And in what area is it in? And are you really willing to let that be tilled? Because I'll tell you, that's probably going to hurt some. But it's necessary for God's truth to take root and to produce life and fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. So how do we get that soil to soften? There's a really interesting passage in the Gospel of Luke that I want to read to you that um, I think gives us a key to that. It's in John, uh, Luke chapter 7, and I hope this is the right reference. Luke chapter 7, verses 29 to 30. This is what uh, it says. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So he's describing two groups of people on one hand, he's describing people he calls tax collectors, standing for people who were not following re re religious practices or rules, people who were clearly outside of God's will, who were living what the Bible would call sinful lives, lives outside of the will of God, selfish lives. And interestingly enough, it says the people who used to live like that accepted the message that Jesus brought. They accepted the truth about God that Jesus was bringing. And then he describes another group of people, which would be Dave and I and Lad, the, the religious leaders. Okay? The people who were teaching God's word were rejecting God's truth communicated through Jesus. And the difference between the two groups was that the people who, who were, were leading sinful lives had been baptized by John and the religious experts and leaders had not. See, baptism was a symbol, and still today is a symbol of repentance. Baptism is a, is a symbol of somebody having recognized something is wrong in my life. I've been living outside of the will of God, and I need His help and forgiveness. Who have, have expressed repentance and a need for forgiveness. 
the religious leaders didn't do that because they were self-righteous. There was pride there. See, repentance is only possible with humility. Only humility will lead to an, an acknowledgement of need, an acknowledgement of wrong, and, 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 and asking and longing for forgiveness and change. And that was missing in the religious establishment. Their hearts had become hard. So humility is a big key to our hearts being softened, to being willing to say, have I been wrong? Have I been wrong in my perception of reality? Have I been wrong in my presumptions about who this God is? And, and maybe have I been wrong in my presumption that there is no God? Have I been wrong in my presumptions about how he wants to be involved in my life? That takes humility. Do you have that? Do I have that humility to constantly come and lay my perceptions and my beliefs open and say, do they align with God's truth? And being willing to be corrected, being willing to repent, being willing to, to be forgiven. So I think the problem, another problem in our culture is that we have reduced and minimized God so much that we believe wrongly about him, that, that it's not anymore that he has created you and me in his image, but that we're making him more and more into our image, that we're using him as a tag along, as a rabbit's foot to make our lives better. Maybe that's even why you come to church, because it adds an interesting aspect to your life. You think it, it might make for a better harmonious family. Maybe, maybe we have minimized God. We have taken him off the, the throne that the Bible puts him on, that he is the ultimate authority, that he is creator God who holds everything in his hands. But we want to make up our own but it doesn't line up with who he really is. You know what the Bible tells us about God, the God that we've minimized, that we call the man upstairs, that we approach without, ref without respect and reverence often? You know what the Bible says about him? It says we should approach him with fear. Boy, we don't talk about that often, do we? In fact, every person in the Bible where we have an account of a person actually encountering the living God, you know what happens without fail? They fall on their face in fear of death because they realize that they cannot exist in the presence of a holy, all-powerful God. Without fail, there's literal terror in the presence of God. Because they recognize his unbelievable power in their helplessness in his presence. The Bible tells us, in fact, that fear of God is the key to knowing him in the first place. The key to softening the soil of our hearts is to fear God. Here's the key verse for today. Maybe write that down. Write this reference down. It's Proverbs 9.10. This, this is re 
this verse or this, this um, proverb is recorded in, in several places. In Proverbs 9.10 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That interesting that contrast earlier it says that that God's word that that the message of Jesus is foolishness to those with hard soil yet to fear him is the beginning of wisdom so how do we get from foolishness to wisdom we get there by humbling ourselves and fearing God I want to show you a a video, um, a teacher, Francis Chan, uh, teaching on this subject, just for a few minutes, who does it a lot better than I ever could. So if we could roll that video, that'd be great. Let's watch this together. And before we do, we gave you a couple of um, um, index cards on your, um, on your chair. Please keep those ready for after this video, all right? And uh, we'll hand out some more pens. So let's roll that video. spent a lot of years going to services and, and churches and, and listening to messages and watching different trends come and go. And all the while, there's been this frustration going, gosh, it seems like what I'd read in the Bible was pretty different from what I'd experience in a church building in a church service. And, and, and I also noticed this trend where as things became more popular in the world, the church would follow suit and go, oh yeah, that's, that's popular here. And, and as people would say certain things are unpopular, the church would almost get embarrassed of those things, like embarrassed of certain doctrines, maybe even embarrassed of the way God described himself. One of the biggest issues that you see in scripture is, is this idea of the fear of God. I mean, I mean, the Bible says in Psalm 111, verse 10, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's not that there aren't a million other things to learn about God, but he says, you've got to start with the fear of the Lord, because that's the beginning of wisdom. And, and so for me to be wise and begin to understand God, it starts with a healthy understanding of fear. And, and because in the church, there was this trend where people were saying, yeah, that fear of God, that, that's kind of old school. You know, this hellfire brimstone. We don't, we don't really do that anymore. So in church, we start going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't, let's talk about the other areas of God. But if we skip the fear of God, we won't understand the other areas. 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And any time someone would, would, would quote this uh, a verse on the fear of the Lord, because it's inevitable, it's, it's in there hundreds of times. But the moment they would say the fear of the Lord, they would say, okay, let's stop here and make sure you understand that when I say fear, I don't mean fear. It's, it's more of a respect. It's more of an awe. And I would read and go, are you sure about that? Because it sure looks like real fear to me. And, and, and when, when people came in contact with this God, it didn't look like just a respect or an awe. It sure appears that they are terrified. surfing with some friends and it was probably a little too big for me but everyone was out so I went out and I remember falling and getting sucked under this wave I don't know if you've ever been under the power of a wave it's happened to me several times but this was so different because it was so powerful it was like my body is just tumbling and I'm just tucked in there and I am so scared because I'm spinning so fast I have no idea what's which way's up my, my, my head is freezing you know in this freezing cold water I'm getting nauseous but the worst part is I'm feeling like I can't hold my breath any longer I can't hold my breath any longer and it's just tumbling man I'm like when's this thing gonna let go and, and I'm saying come on let me go let me go God I'm gonna die I'm gonna die I'm gonna die and then finally finally the last second it's like I, I, I can finally see a little bit of light and I just read you know, I get to the top and I could take this breath. Ah, oh, but that feeling of just intense fear, you see, that's that's what I see in, in, in the Bible. It's not like they think to themselves, okay, I should muster up some reverence now, or I should show them a little bit of respect. No, it's it's this out of control, like Isaiah the prophet, when he saw God, he just goes, I'm dead. He's going to kill me. It's just this instant fear. John, the beloved disciple, the one that, that, that Jesus loved, when, when Jesus comes back in his glorified state, John sees him and he says, I just fell at his feet like, like I was dead. I just fainted. I just, I just passed out. That's what I see in scripture. It's not this um, idea of this God that we can control. It's really weird to me how how nowadays people talk about God with such an arrogance. Uh, like they really believe that they're the first person that's going to be able to come before God and question him. And that God's going to actually go, wow, I never thought of that before. You know, it, it's just this, how do we get there? I mean, think about it. If, if, if Moses and Isaiah and John and even the high angels all have the same response to God, why would I think that I'm going to respond differently? Or, or, or that, that somehow I won't have the same fear? See, it's not even an issue of should I fear, should I not fear, should I talk... I'm just saying this is just reality. The reality is whoever you are, the moment you see God, you are going to fear him. We all will. In Isaiah 44, verse 6, he goes, I'm the first and the last. 
and besides me there is no God. Who's like me? Who's like me? Let him proclaim it. In other words, is there someone else that's like me? Then have him speak up. And, and, and he goes on and, and he says, I, I appointed the ancient people. He goes, if, if you think that you can match up to me, then why don't you declare what's to come? Okay, tell me the future. Because God goes, I know the future. I knew when you were going to be born. And I know the last day you're going to have on this earth. I know everything. Why don't you tell me the future if you want to come and challenge me? Those are the words that God uses. He doesn't say, oh, come on, come teach me something. He goes, no, no, you need to understand there is no one else. There's one being. There's always been just me and no one can challenge you. You want to challenge me? Why don't you stand up right now and, and just tell everyone, hey, I could live without you. <laughs> this is the way God speaks. And I know, I know this isn't a, a popular way to talk because we, we want a more manageable God. We want a God that we can question and, and, and tell him things and explain things to him. But the truth is, is this is the way God speaks about himself. And, and sometimes in, in our churches, we're almost embarrassed that our God is as powerful as he is and that he speaks so boldly about himself and tells us to fear him. But here's the, here's the crazy part about it, is the next verse, right after he says these things, in verse 8, he says, fear not. He doesn't say fear me there. He, he actually switches and says fear not. And it's, it's almost confusing at first. You go, wait a second. You're telling me who you are, and then, then once I get to this point of fear, you kind of go, but fear not, nor be afraid. Now, now, why would he say that? You see, it's actually a very common theme in Scripture. For, for example, when Isaiah saw God and he's terrified, he goes, ah, you're going to kill me. Then God says, oh, no, 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 Isaiah, it's, it, it's okay. Um, I'm actually going to send one of my angels. And, and, and an angel takes this coal and he says, you know, Isaiah was saying, gosh, I'm such a sinner. I've said such bad things. And God says, no, watch, this coal is going to touch your lips. And I'm going to forgive you of everything. It's um, when John falls over like a dead man and just is terrified. Jesus goes, no, no, no. Don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus. It's the same thing that he's doing here. And he's saying to them, he goes, look, I am this, this, this is amazing God that you ought to fear. But once you get to that point, he goes, you don't have to fear me. The Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's, it's just this, but you have to get to that point. You have to get to this point where you understand it's not about you. It's about this, this being who is way more powerful than you. And, and rather than trying to challenge him, you can actually find security in him. See, what's amazing is God uses these terms in scripture. He calls us his children. Think about that for a second. The, the security of a child. I mean, I mean, I, I've got four kids, and and I'm not like this big tough guy or anything. But but if anyone tried to harm one of my kids, of course I'm going to try to protect them. And to think of the God of the universe thinking of me like one of His children. Are, are you kidding me? And, and he uses terms like friend. I mean, think of the way you would defend your friends or, or maybe even die for your friends. And, and, and the crazy one to me, the, the really intense one, is when he refers to the church as his bride. 
if someone were attacking my wife, I mean, what an absolute loser I would be if I just said, yeah, you're going to have to fend for yourself, honey. No, I'd jump in. I'd give my life for her. And to think that the God of the universe is calling us his bride, uh, there's a security we can have. I mean, that's where the security comes from. But you'll never get there if you're not willing to, to, to get to that point of fear. I think this would be a lot easier if we could actually just see him. I mean, can you imagine if we just got five seconds in his presence? It really would change us forever because then we would see, okay, now I know why I need to fear this God. And, and now I, I don't want to just flippantly disobey his commands anymore. I want to take him seriously. But, but, but not just that, but it would, it would change our whole mindset because we'd realize... Now that I've seen him, I realize there's nothing else to fear. It says, fear the Lord, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 19, 23. It says, fear the Lord actually leads to life. And, and those who have it rest satisfied. See, for too many years, we felt like the fear of the Lord was a bad thing. And we didn't realize this is the very thing that would lead us to life. Without the fear of the Lord, you're not going to understand why, why you should follow Jesus. Without a proper understanding of the fear of the Lord, we wouldn't understand the power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit. God wants you to fear Him because that's going to lead you to a life that you've never had. And it's a better life. It's a secure life. It's a life that we were created for. Thank you, Francis Chan. Very interesting, isn't it? That the, the fear of God, once we, we come into in an encounter with the all-powerful creator God and this uncontrollable force here that envelopes us, represented here by, that, by the water, that she wasn't able to, to, to do anything with it, completely overwhelmed her. And as long as she was fighting it, there was fear. Did you see that? But when she surrendered to it, 
and embraced it, it led to life and to new breath and to freedom. And that's where God wants to lead you and me. He wants to soften that soil when we come into an encounter with him where we understand the reality of who he is. And when we come to the point of accepting that and embracing that and submitting to who he is, it will lead from, from destruction to life. It will lead from fighting him to getting life and freedom in him. That's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. I understand that this imagery here is a little bit hard to understand. And we have a few slides and questions. And I want you to take out your index cards and pens. And we have more. Um, if you need a pen, if you just raise your hand real quick, we'll hand out a few more. We're just going to have a few minutes of reflecting on what Francis Chan just, just talked about. And we'll have some slides and questions up here. But before we do that, I would just love for you to just take a minute before we put slides up there and just you personally reflect on what you just heard. Reflect on where your heart is and whether you've ever really come to a point of, of fearing this God. Would you just take a minute and then I'll take you through some questions. questions up here and you might want to write down some of the ones that really resonate with you so you ponder and think about this this video and what he talked about and um, I know that we're not going to solve this mystery here this morning but maybe you can take these index cards with you and just keep meditating over that throughout the week and, and allow God to really lead you to where he wants you to be He said one of the biggest issues that you see in Scripture is this idea of the fear of God. Maybe sometime make a list of ways that you relate to God. How do you relate to them and to Him? And where does fear rank on that list? Is fear part of that list of how you see God and how you interact with Him? Do you, do you think you relate to God currently in the way that He wants you to relate to Him? Okay. Can we go to the next slide? Does the idea of fearing God make you uncomfortable? When you hear that, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Does that concept make you uncomfortable? Next slide, please. 
Isaiah 6, 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Imagine you saw God today, right now. Would you respond to God as Isaiah did? The reality is, whoever you are, the moment you see God, you are going to fear him. You will fear him. Do you believe that? All right, next slide. Have you ever felt trapped by your fear with seemingly nowhere to run or to turn? Where did you turn, and did you turn to the one whom you feared? Okay, next slide. What would it take for you to believe that God is actually for you? Are you willing to claim and live out of that truth daily? How would your life look differently if you did? How would your life look differently if you really believe that that all-powerful God is for you? Okay, next slide. Do you see yourself as God's child, his friend? Do you see yourself as part of the church, his bride? How would your life change if you saw yourself the way that God sees you? What will it take for you to exhale and just let go? And maybe why haven't you done it yet? All right, next slide. Then we would see, okay, now I know why I need to fear this God. And now I don't want to just flippantly disobey his commands anymore. I want to take him seriously. But not just that. I would, it would change our whole mindset. Because we'd realize now that I've seen him, I realize there's nothing else to fear. Proverbs 13. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. How does being content feel like floating? How, how long are you able to stay that way? And what stops you? All right. I just want to ask you guys, pray. Ask that God would give you a real, genuine fear of God. Can we do that? And, and if you're afraid of that, then pray some more. Let's ask God to really lead us into the reality of who he is. All right. God wants you to fear him. I can't read that up there. <laughs> is that the kind of life you want to live? Are you willing to do to are you willing to do to have that life? What are you willing to do? What will you do today to begin to seek that kind of life? Justice and praise become.
I don't know if you've ever come to that real fear of God. Maybe, maybe we've been so influenced by the lies that this, this world, this life feeds us, the lies that, that, um, that he's been minimized, that he's a, a pocket-sized God, a God that we can put into a box, a God that's there to make our life better. I just want to encourage you, as, as chanted in these slides, to pray. See, God, God's not a God who wants to play hide-and-seek with you and me. He wants to reveal himself. He wants to reveal the reality of who he is to you and to me. And so I just want to, I want to ask you, till the soil of your heart. Ask him where your perception of him does not align with, with the reality of who he is. Allow him to, to turn that upside down. And maybe, maybe you have encountered him. Maybe you have been at the place of fear. And maybe you have begun following him. But somehow, th through life and experiences, you've, you've become hard in certain areas again. You've become unreceptive. And he's, he's become an acquaintance, a tag-along. Maybe we've, we've lost the sense of the supernatural and we've begun to, to put him in the box of my theology, of your theology, of how you want him to be. And we're, we've become unreceptive in certain areas that are uncomfortable for us. Maybe we've become unreceptive to the truth that he wants to bring into our lives about, about our finances, about what we have. Maybe you've become unreceptive to his truth about your sexuality. Maybe you've become unreceptive to his, his truth about forgiveness. Wherever you are, I just want to ask you, let's get down and dirty and let's dig into that soil of your heart and of my heart and allow God to, to till it and to, to turn it upside down and then to, to plant the seed of his truth. To plant the seed of his truth about himself and who he is and who he wants to be in your life and how he wants you to relate to him. And again, this will not be fixed this morning. But my prayer is that, that maybe this morning and, and, and you beginning to dig into these questions could be the beginning of, of a year of 2012 being a year of softening our hearts for God. Softening our hearts to receive His truth. And then allowing His truth to take roots. And then He says, it will grow. It will grow and it will produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times in your life. And it will lead to the life that He has for you. I just want to close by quoting one more verse and then I want to pray. Proverbs 19.23 The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Oh, Jesus, I, I thank you for your word. And what this morning was, uh, was heavy meat. <laughs> Lord, you, you have so much to reveal to us about who you are. And we live in a world that tells us so much untruth about you. A world that tells us that we're sufficient. A world that tells us that we have everything inside us we need. A world that tells us that we can do this without you. 
a world that tells us that you don't exist or that you're an app on my iPhone called Pocket God. God, would you reveal yourself to us? You are God. You have created everything there is, and you hold everything in your hand. You are all-powerful. You are all-powerful to destroy life and to give life, and you want to give life. Lord, lead us to the place where we fear you and who you are so that we can live unafraid of you because you're for us. And you forgive, and you give life, and you give freedom. Lord, lead us into the truth about you. May 2012 be a, be a year where our heart just gets softened and softened and fertilized to receive your truth. And may it grow in our lives and may it bring fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.